Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles, would you, to 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. As we look to God's Word today for a right response to sudden terror. Solomon, sharing wisdom with us in the Proverbs writes, in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 25, he writes, Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. The psalmist writes in Psalm 91, verse 5, You shall not be afraid of terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day. And it seems as if sudden terror is all around us, even just last week. We all woke up to or maybe you worked a night shift and you watched it unfold, to sudden terror striking yet another city in our country. Just in the United States alone, over 20 mass shootings have taken place in the last 10 years from places like movie theaters to elementary school rooms to church sanctuaries to even an office party. Just a few of them, there was Orlando in 2016, San Bernardino in 15, Charleston, South Carolina in 15, Washington, D.C. in 13, Aurora, Colorado in 12, Sandy Hook in 12, and now Las Vegas in an outdoor concert venue. 58 people lost their lives to senseless evil tragedy. Another 500 plus were injured. And at last count, it varies and changes, but about 100 people are still in the hospital right now awaiting what the, what the prognosis will be on the injuries that they sustained. And still yet thousands more, including police officers and paramedics and first responders and doctors and nurses and everyone that was there, 20,000 plus people, will be forever traumatized, having a form of what they call PTSD, but you can call it what you will, their minds will forever be changed. And then there's us, watching things on the news and hearing things, old memories coming up. These events affect our minds and our emotions and break our hearts. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 25, my soul clings to the dust, Revive me according to your word. And so many are living in the first part of that verse. The soul clinging to the dust, wondering what is happening. Even the last performer at the concert is recorded as saying, along with his wife, that now they're concerned as she's pregnant, about to give birth in a month or so. And now they're concerned about bringing a baby into the kind of world that we live in as things continue to get darker and darker. Things are forever changed once again over a mass casualty event in Las Vegas. Families are grieving today. Emotions are still raw. Minds are numb. We're praying for the survivors and their families. We're praying for the families that lost loved ones. As they were putting up the picture, the collage of the 58 that lost their lives, someone in my home, I forget who it was, made the observation that it was mostly girls, mostly females. And depression, loss of concentration, sleeplessness, anger, frustration, stirring up of past emotions. How can we not think of just five years ago, right up the street, of the trauma and the loss of life in a movie theater just not too far of many people in our fellowship were in one of those two theaters. And although they survived, 
their minds were forever changed. Of course, there's your own personal trauma and your own personal issues in your life that an event like this triggers and changes forever. And the feelings that you're having are not unusual. They're normal, whatever they may be. I mean, sometimes we can make them worse by watching the 24-hour news cycle. How can we not? We're curious. We want to know what's happening. We want to stay on top of the news. And yet sometimes the news can only make things worse. And as we begin to look at the text today, I want you to know that the feelings that you're having are normal. You're not abnormal. The things that you're having or the things that you're feeling and going through are normal for a normal person going through a very abnormal situation. It's the situation that's abnormal, not you. Tragedies like these have a way of gripping people, clamping on their minds, losing their focus, stumbling them, knocking you off balance. Something's just missing and you can't put your finger on it. And it's common to be absorbed with paralyzing fears, fears that, of being in places with lots of people, loud noises, looking over your back, walking into a room and checking all the exits. Some today are even struggling to come out of their house. It's normal. I think there's a couple of things that we need to be careful of in times like this. One, as I'm watching, as they keep happening rapidly over and over and over again, is we need to be careful not to become desensitized to the pain in people's lives and to the tragedies of our lives. Now, I'm not here to to declare to you uh, anything in the political realm, but let me just say this. Whatever your political opinion is, it must come second to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the second thing that's going to happen is you're going to be tempted to be distracted from the importance of people. You know, there's only two things that are eternal, the word of God and the souls of men. Everything else is going to pass away. And either we become desensitized and go, oh, yep, you know, it's another tragedy, another loss of life. At least it didn't happen in our backyard. But we can't say that, can we? It did happen in our backyard. I didn't measure the mileage, but it can't be more than five miles from here to the theater. Right up the street around Tower. You take Tower around, it's going to drop you right at the theater, at the mall. We can't say that because it affected the police officers in our community, in our church. We, we can't say that because the first responders in the hospitals in our own backyard, as they were throwing uh, hurt people in the back of police cars and rushing them to the hospital, we can't say that. But then I guess we could if we become desensitized to the reality of pain. It was C.S. Lewis that said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And if we're not careful, the megaphone will be drowned out with all sorts of feelings and all sorts of things that we simply do not come to the reality of our place in the world to be the light of the gospel. Friends, not all is lost. Not all is lost. The Bible declares to us, fear not, for I am with you. That's the word of the Lord to us. In, by faith in Jesus Christ, there is comfort and courage, protection and peace. And while our attention might be captured, I don't know about you, but it affected me. I had a real bad week. Me personally. Not only did it stir up things in my own heart and in my own mind on a bunch of different levels, but, but we had friends that were there, literally at the event. Uh, the, the guy I grew up with, Jack, the one that ended up inviting me to a Calvary Chapel many years ago, I grew up with him since Little League. We have pictures together when we played Little League in a neighborhood park uh, in our neighborhood. And we ended up going to school together, and then in high school we ended up doing a lot of bad things together. And... When Marie and I found out as teenagers uh, that we were pregnant, it was just a few months later that Jack and his girlfriend Debbie, they announced that they also were pregnant. So we basically had kids within months of each other. My son Eddie was born in November. 
1986, and their daughter, Jessica, was born, I believe, in January of 1987. And so we've watched Jessica grow up and to be a fine young woman. She's in her early 30s now and married uh, and, and doing very good, walking with the Lord and loves the Lord. And she posted on Instagram a couple days before the, the tragedy a picture of her being in Vegas. And my first thought was, I hope you're not there for country music. And I actually put that on it. Hope you're not there for country music. And she posted back, I don't know, you know, cowboy boots or something. And that's what she was there for. Why anybody likes country music, I don't quite understand it. <laughs> but she does. And, and she was there and we made a little joke about it. And then, you know, we went on with life. And then on Monday morning, my phone buzzed. And I picked it up and it was Marie. She had already gone off for the day, and I was still in bed catching as much sleep as I could. And I, hello? Hey, Ed, Ed, I just want you to know Jessica's okay. And I said, what? And he said, and she, yeah, Jessica's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, all right, click. But then it's one of those calls that you can't just go back to sleep. And so I'm like, what is she telling me? What's going on? So I get up. I start checking the news. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And immediately it took me back five years because they were texting me all night within minutes of the theater shooting, texting me. But the problem is, is if you text me at night, you can't get a hold of me. I have my phone set up. Texting doesn't affect me. At time. I don't want my phone to buzz all night. If you want to get a hold of me at night, you've got to call me. So finally someone decided, you know, he's not answering. Somebody call him. And it was the same thing. Phone, side of the bed, buzzing. Hello? What's going on? Ed, you need to get up and get down here right now. What? What's, and, and I began to think. And that, that began, you know, hours and days and days and days of sleepless nights and 24 hours of ministry and the broken of our church and on and on. It began to open up all sorts of things and, and some other things on a personal level as well. These kind of things affect us, whether we admit that or not. We can either stuff them down or we can express the emotion or a combination of the two. And we need to learn, if we haven't already, how to respond in a biblical way. What is God's response to sudden terror? What is it as we battle fears and frustrations? What is it that God has for us as we consider this and we think it over and over again and we wonder about what's next? It's not just a United States of America issue, friends. Terror is around the world. It's happening day by day and there are just those that are walking evil and wanting and planning to perpetuate evil even as I speak. And the reality is, is that is the world in which we live. It is the darkness of the world in which we live. And God would have us to continue to walk in faith, trusting him, allowing him to build up, providing us the security and the inspiration to live a life that pleases him, trusting him with my life, no matter what's happening. And I'm grateful that God would meet us in our emotions, that God would meet us and bend down to us in our weaknesses as we have to process these things. You know, years ago, people didn't have to process these things. I know pastors, and maybe you might, you might even hear this and begin to accuse me of being sensational or exaggerating, but I'm neither. I'm just giving you the observation of my own life, and I think you would also agree in the observation of your life that things are progressively getting worse, not better darker, not lighter. In the 1950s, they weren't worried about this kind of stuff, or the 40s, or the 30s, or the late 1800s. Oh, don't misunderstand me. Wickedness and evil existed. It existed from the fall of Satan. We know that. But the kind of things that people are doing to one another, and the issues that are happening, are increasing at breakneck speed. With weapons that exist today that didn't exist before, and methodologies to exist. I, I mean, if you, don't, if, you, if you don't understand, if you don't recognize how fast things are accelerating, can I just give you one simple uh, illustration? When we moved here to Colorado in 1999, 
I did not have high-speed internet in my house. I still had a modem on my computer that literally dialed up and made the noises to connect to the internet. Anybody familiar with that at all? Okay, just to make sure. Some of you kids are going, what? Okay. Google it. Modem. 2400 baud, whatever it is. Google it. In order to download a large file, I needed to take a floppy disk to work that we had high-speed internet at work. It wasn't very high-speed, but it was higher than at home. And, and I would download it there. First, I'd have to ask the boss, but I was the boss. So I'd ask myself if I can use the company internet, download something, put it in their disk, bring it home, floppy disk, put it back in, and that's how you transferred files in the day. Then they brought high-speed internet into our neighborhood in, in the year 2000, 2001 or something, and I was able to order for a large sum of money a one megabyte internet service into my house. And boy, were we fast. <laughs> Today, 17 years later, high-speed internet, they have cable, they have fiber running into neighborhoods now. They have gigabyte service, and you have a faster service in your pocket than many homes have, even to this day. In your pocket. In your pocket. Acceleration. Boom. And they're always working on the next one and the next one and the next one. Well, what's true with technology, friends, it's true with evil as well. There are people, unfortunately, that are already working on the next evil, already planning it ahead of time, already looking to do, do damage. They call, they call these people many times terrorists because that is exactly what they want to perpetuate on a population, terror. Listen, terror isn't anything new. The Bible speaks of terror. And today I want to show you an example of not only a, a time of terror in a young man's life, but God's response to that terror. God's response to get him through a very difficult time in his life. A time of great fear. A time where we learn two responses. And so if you would, would you... Would you Turn to 2 Kings with me and pick up in verse 8 to grab the context of an event in the life of Elisha, the prophet, and his servant. Verse 8. Now, the king of Syria was making war against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, My camp will be such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha. The prophet who's in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Here's the backdrop. The king of Syria is waging war against the people of Israel. Part of that war, including setting up various ambushes throughout the land to capture his enemies. But every time one was set, Israel was able to avoid it. It happened so many times this avoiding of the, of the ambushes, that finally the king of Syria calls his top leaders together and says, what's going on? Where are the spies? And one of his advisors, advisors told him, there's no spies, king. It's this guy, Elisha. Elisha is able, he, has, he is so close to his God that he is able, he's able to know what you say in secret in your own bedroom. And verse 13 begins the response of the king of Syria. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I might send him and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And so he answered, 
Do not fear, for those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. The king of Syria is upset and he's mad. He dispatches his troops to Dothan to capture this man Elisha so that he might continue to perpetuate trauma and warfare on the children of Israel. Now for me personally, I've never been involved in warfare, but many of you have being in the military. We have some young men in our church right now deployed into very difficult parts of the world over which we can't be told what they're doing currently, only to find out what they've been involved in when they return. Warfare is traumatic. The environment of warfare is traumatic. And here is a moment in time where the king of Syria is so upset that he wants to take Elisha out so he can continue to wreak havoc in the nation of Israel. And the city is surrounded. And Elisha the prophet is trapped. And notice in verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And it reminded me of these kind of events. These are the kind of events that that happen in Vegas, that happen here in Aurora, that we go out early in the morning and we wake up and we hear and see what happened overnight. And we come to the conclusion that the world has changed since we went to sleep. We go to bed and wake up so many times in routine that these types of things, they, they bring great, they, they shudder us and shake us to the core. And that's where he is. He wakes up and he sees with his eyes horses and chariots. He's surrounded. It says in verse, at the end of verse 15, the servant says, alas, circle that word and right next to it, shock. His young, the servant is shocked and, and in awe. Not a good awe, but he's shocked by what he sees. Innumerable troops set in battle to capture them. There's just two guys and a whole army surrounds them. They're outnumbered. When he says, alas, he's utterly shocked. And by the way, some of you may still be in shock over this. Uh, the idea where your body shuts down in order to start to process the enormity of information that is coming your way. God is so gracious to us to create in our bodies a natural response to go into shock so that we don't have to deal with the full weight of everything all at once. And over time, you may find yourself coming out of shock and coming into the reality. Many of the families that are grieving this morning most certainly are still in shock, which is commonly known as the first stage of grief. But so are all of those that are grieving. You know, there's, there's so many emotions. One of the emotions that's very prevalent in a time like this is something known as survivor's guilt. Because people are starting to watch the news and more uh, video is coming out and they're beginning to watch and, and, and you, have, you, know, you have all of these heroes that are running not away from the bullets but running toward the shooting to save as many people as they can. Some of them have been trained to do just that. The, the heroes that we have in our community in law enforcement and the fire department and paramedics and that this is what they've been trained to do. They hope and they never need to. Those that were doctors and nurses that were there just running to help, running to help, running to help. Even a few heroes that weren't trained that way that just felt a, a burden to go back and help, to go back and help. But, but then there are those that their first instinct and is very normal, their first instinct was to get away from the gunfire, to move away from it and And so that's what they did. They moved away. Maybe they helped somebody over the fence or maybe they ran away to save their own life. And now they're having to go through. They did absolutely nothing wrong and they're still feeling bad about it. It's all over. It's constant. They're they're crying out with this word, alas. 
I can't believe this has happened. Elisha's servant is stunned and utterly shocked by what he saw in the physical realm, perhaps even heard with his ears. Looking out with his physical eyes, all he could see was trouble, tragedy, pain, and a real fear. We know that he's fearing because the answer in verse 16 is, don't fear. He's fearing the sur- being surrounded. And truly, friends, this is a normal response of a person living without the consciousness of God in a situation. They've been shaken out of it. There is a spiritual realm of which, for the most part, we live in our lives unaware. We live so much of our lives in the physical realm. We wake up, we go to bed, we put on our clothes, take a shower, go to work, we have to go shopping, we take this, we got to shovel snow, we have everything in our life day after day after day. It's the physical realm, and that has a way of blinding us to the reality of just as real a realm the Bible describes as the spiritual. That things are happening in the spiritual realm even now. The enemy... Elisha's servant needed to fear was not the armies of Syria, but that hidden and terrible enemy known as Satan and the demonic realm behind the scenes. In that spiritual realm lies a spiritual enemy. And it's unfortunate but true, but many fully haven't grasped the reality of the spiritual enemy in our lives. That we are surrounded by the host of hell and the henchmen of Satan. Misery and destruction are in their path. Godly men and women are their target. And the goal, according to the Scriptures, is simply to defeat you. And if you can't be defeated, to discourage you. And if you can't be discouraged, to depress you. And if you can't be depressed, to destroy your faith and to instill fear in you and to distract you and to take you away from what's really important in your spiritual life. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief does not come except to steal kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now I said that I want to give you two things in response. Here's number one. A right response to sudden terror includes, well, let me put it this way, say a word. Just write that down, say a word. Say a word because as Elisha's servant is processing this. Notice the answer, because he asked the right question, doesn't he? At at the end of verse 15, what shall we do? What shall we do? And the answer in verse 16 was, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Say a word. What's the word? Well, in this case, it's do not fear. Words of courage and strength from a man that's in tune with God. He wasn't saying them because he could comfort or protect the, the man. He, Elisha had no power over the army surrounding them. Just these two guys against the surrounding Syrian army. But Elisha saw something and knew something that the young man didn't. He, he saw and experienced what the young man was shocked from being able to experience. There was more power in the spiritual realm than that what was seen in the physical realm. So not only did Elisha see the problem, Elisha saw the solution. Do not fear, the Lord is with you. Angels are surrounding you. God's strength is available to you. And I'll tell you, in times like this, church, the Word of God brings great comfort and clarity to our troubled minds and to the troubled minds around you. One of the distractions that we inevitably face is that as this becomes the topic and remains the topic in our culture, in our community for at least the next few weeks. Everybody's talking about it and everybody has an opinion and everybody wants to assert their rights and everybody has, while that's all going on, in the middle of that mix is a believer in Jesus Christ like Elisha who can see more than what your coworkers can see, who can see more than what your neighbors are able to process, who, who actually not only see more, but experience more 
than, than your friends and family. And the response to those in our lives, the reason why God has us where we're at, the reason why God has us the, given us the ability to communicate is that when the opportune time comes and you hear people go, what are we supposed to do? Alas, not another one. And it brings up the memories of our own city. And it brings up the memories of our own trauma and our own grief. And we cry out, what am I supposed to do? There's the believer, the light of the world, the salt of the earth that says, fear not. Because God is with you. And we turn a tragedy in every sense of the word into an opportunity to define for the people in our lives what God is saying through his megaphone of pain. His megaphone of pain. The word of God is a great comfort and encouragement. In the midst of all the pundits and all the commentators and all those with an opinion or two to share how we need God's everlasting word to penetrate this world. The words of the Lord, the psalmist said, are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. That's Psalm 12, 6. Psalm 18, 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven, and he is a shield to all who trust in him. Jesus himself said in Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. God would tell us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that we know God works all things together for good to those who love God, and those are called according to his purpose. Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Paul would write to the church in Philippi, inspired of the Holy Spirit, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Fear not is the word of the Lord to us today. Fear not. You need to see the spiritual forces that even more so we need to see and we need to recognize and we need to know of the mighty power of God in his Holy Spirit to protect and comfort us. The Holy Spirit himself is surrounding the enemies that are surrounding us. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Not only did Elisha see the problem, but he also saw the solution. And he shared it with his servants. Share the word. Say a word. What are we to do? We're to share a word. And friends, sometimes sharing the word, literally you have to share the word with yourself. David got to a place where he had to encourage himself in the Lord. Knowing that I would need to take the word of God and communicate it to us, uh, I have been following closely, not so much the last couple days, but I've been following closely the whole scenario uh, on, on the news and just reading and thinking through and praying for this. And I have to say, man, the, the news just bums you out. It's like another army surrounding you because everyone has an opinion and they so quickly, this world, it, 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 it's just living for the moment. I, I remember here uh, at the theater shooting, we spent so much time up at the theaters in the parking lot adjacent there. And I mean, all the news trucks were there. They set up all their little um, tents and chairs and and some of the survivors and first responders would go from program, they go from Fox to CNN, and they go from program to program to program to program to program. And we would go back, and there would be a lot of people, we'd go back. But you know as well as I do that news cycles don't last very long. They go very quickly, they already move on to the next thing, and it wasn't within a couple of days, they are already moving on to the next thing, and I still remember the day where we went back to the memorial area there by, on the corner and, and went into the area where the theater was, and then all the news trucks were gone. They just, they were gone. It was back to normal. If you want to call it that, you could park in the spaces again, and, and they just moved on because they're living in the moment from the one tragedy to the next. They're giving your opinions and moving on. 
But you and I, we don't live just in the moment for this world. We live for eternity. We too see the physical, and we also realize there's more than just the physical. That, you know, that even now, you, you see, they, they set up a little memorial by the Las Vegas sign that we walk, you drive right into the city now, and, and then the same guy, I believe, that did the crosses here, built all the crosses for each of the, and now you walk in, and that becomes where all the flowers are. And, and I just felt a strong word last night, and I would encourage you that God, you, some of you have been praying or even thinking, maybe just thinking about going to Las Vegas and helping and ministering and, and just hanging out at the crosses because, you know, people are wanting to talk right now. People are open. I mean, we, we, we were, as much time as we wanted to spend uh, here uh, talking to people, as long as they were out there, they would talk. You could walk up to them and say, are you doing okay? How can I pray for you? We were there and I saw on the news that the Billy Graham chaplains are out there as well. They got their shirts on. These guys are heroes, man. They, they, are, they work full-time jobs. They're all around the country. And at the moment's notice as a tragedy comes, they hop on a plane at their own cost, at their own expense, to wherever it is, and they just spend their time on the streets. And they take shifts. So there's somebody there 24 hours constantly. And we were serving with them here. They came in and did training for us, and they're amazing. And so last night, I just want to share with you, if, if you've been thinking about it, I believe the Lord gave us a word for our church. You need to buy a plane ticket and go. You need to go and do what God put on your heart and go hang out at the Las Vegas sign or go into the Calvary Chapel there because we have friends there and say, my heart is just broken and I just need to go. I just needed to be here. How can I serve? You don't need an invitation. The Holy Spirit's your invitation. And if you've just been heartbroken, you're going, man, I don't know, what, what can I do? And one, one of your thoughts were, I think I can fly there. You can. God has just given you permission. Go. And then when you come back, tell us how, you, how it goes. Tell us the people you minister to. Tell us the people that God used in your life, that, that God used you in their life. But go. Be used of the Lord share a word with those and with yourself. The last thing we look at today is not only are we to share a word, but secondly, we're to pray a prayer. Not only did Elisha tell him, don't fear, those are with us, but then verse 17 he says, and he prayed. Verse 18, and he prayed. Now verse 17 is the prayer for his servant. And we need to be praying for people. We need to just interrupt whatever we think normal decorum is at work, and we just need to pray for them. We just need to say, I'm going to pray for you right now. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for your feelings. I'm going to pray for your anger. I'm going to pray for your, you, you not, you know, maybe somebody, you, you find out this week that somebody called out sick last week because they just couldn't come in. You need to pray for them. Pray with them if you can. Elisha prays for prayer of insight. And surely the Lord will lead you. God will lead you in what to pray. There's no standard prayer. We don't know what to pray until we talk to it. We don't know, but God will lead you. You can pray that their eyes would be open. You would pray that they would now, you know, because, you know, a lot of the responses right now, people are really mad at God, which is a familiar response in times like this. They're just really mad at God. Unfortunately, at times, man, believers, we've taken that like as a, as a challenge. Somebody's mad at God, and so I just somehow need to defend God. You don't need to defend God. He does a good enough job defending himself. If you happen to come across somebody that's really angry with God, let me give you a little insight behind the scenes. While, of course, we would rather have people in relationship with God than angry with God, for sure, but if somebody expresses to me that they're mad at God, that's not all bad news. First of all, number one, they're acknowledging that God exists. <laughs> you know, the atheist or the agnostic, and they might even say, well, it's your God's fault. And it, yeah, okay, 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 I get, I get it. So number one, they're acknowledging God. Maybe they've never acknowledged God at any other time, but now they are. Secondly, they're mad at God. Now that tells me something about them. That tells me that their anger is in response to who they think God really is. Now, why would they be angry except that they believe that God now isn't love because somebody told them that God is love? And so what do they ask? How could a loving God allow something like this? Yeah, that's, that's okay to ask that question. 
There's an answer to it. The root of what you saw in Las Vegas or here in Aurora is sin. God is not responsible for it. Man is. The sinful wickedness of man is responsible. The wages of sin is always death, the Bible says. And so maybe you come across someone and you, you, don't, you don't need to put up a fight to try to convince people of the existence of God. or If they're mad at God, just begin to dialogue with them. Why are you so mad? And begin to introduce them and, and plant those seeds of the love of God in their lives. We're to... What are we to do in sudden terror? We're to share the word. Say a word. We're to pray a prayer. We're to engage the culture. Man, we need to stop coming to church and start being the church. That's why God put you where you are. It's not, a church is not an event. Church is not a gathering place. The Bible describes the church as people. You and me. Oh, sure, we gather together. That's the will of God. But the idea of that's the only purpose of your life is to attend a church service is simply not what God has for you. A church service is merely to equip you, encourage you, and stir you, and send you right back out into a hostile world that needs light and darkness and love to match hatred and answers to match misconceptions and prayers to comfort a really messed up culture that's afraid and angry and frustrated and unable to see the spiritual realm. Today, perhaps you're worried and anxious and concerned. You've been wondering how it's going to end and what will be the solution. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, that you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's a done deal. It's a settled situation. God is on the throne. And may God open our eyes to not just see the mounting problems, but also to see the momentous solution. Faith sees the person, faith sees what the person without faith never sees God's power. And so we have for us the model, personally and practically speak the word and pray for strength, pray for protection. Pray for security. Pray for peace. Notice in verse 17, Elisha prayed that his eyes would be open, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The eyes of the young man were opened. God answers that prayer. Let's, let's end with a psalm today, would you? Could you turn over to Psalm 34? I think it's an appropriate psalm for a time like this. Psalm 34, I'm just going to read it to you to allow it to fill this room, the truths of Psalm 34, just the first few verses. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And so, Father, we come to you in light of the events in our world, in light of the events of the tragedies of this world, and we humble ourselves before you to, to submit ourselves to a God who is faithful, to a God who has revealed himself faithful throughout the ages. 
and we bring to you our own emotions and our own thoughts and minds. We bring to you, God, our own attitudes and opinions. We we bring to you the reality of our life as it sits today. And we ask you to share a word with us. And we know, Jesus, that you are praying prayers for us. As your word says that you live to always make intercession for us. And as we turn our hearts and our attention towards you, we know that you have a great word, a great insight, a great revelation. And I pray for those that are affected by this. I pray for not only those, um, you know, as we've lifted up continually, those in Vegas, those, you know, as people go back home and they spread out around the country again uh, and they take this pain with them, the survivors in the hospital, but also here in our own city. Those that have been touched by trauma, those that are having to deal with their own issues in their minds, that, Father, you would descend upon them in comfort and encouragement. That, Father, you would have your way with them to draw them out of maybe a pit that they've started to slip into again. And, Lord, I also uh, pray for those that this tragedy has got their attention. They're actually in a church service today just because they're asking questions, just because they're concerned just because maybe they're afraid to raise their children in an environment like this or they're wondering what's going to happen to their lives while we declare to them and to us the words fear not apart from you Jesus Christ fear can take root and take a grip them and, and like hold on to them like never before And as we're praying, if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do just that. That today's the day that God has uh, drawn you to a place where you've heard about the love of God and the goodness of God. That today is the day where you turn away from your sinful past. You, you, You admit that the mistakes that you've made in life are not good. I know that I can get, as I'm talking with people, I know that I can get them to agree that they've made mistakes. I think we all could say that. We've all made mistakes in our lives. And as you come to that conclusion in your life, I want you to know that what you call mistake, the Bible calls sin. So that in a very real way, you you can admit that you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. That they weren't just mere mistakes, but but they were were stumbling blocks to perfection. You, You haven't made it to perfection. None of us have. As you read through the Bible, on one page in the Bible it says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who also suffered death in a sudden terror and tragedy, something we know as crucifixion. One of the cruelest ways, if not the cruelest ways, to prolong the death of a person, to torturously kill them. And Jesus Christ, He died They buried him in a tomb. And the Bible declares, as many witnesses attest, that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead three days later. And to this moment, in this very moment, he is still inviting people to follow him. And I want to invite you to do just that. And I I, I think I have a word for, for a young person in this room today. You're not taking the things of God very seriously, even though outwardly you look like you are. Outwardly, it seems like you're really loving God and it seems like you're really serving God, but, but you're not. And I believe this tragedy is waking you up, or at least it's God's. And I, I, I think it's somebody young. It may be true for somebody older, but I, I think it's somebody young listening to me right now that they would consider themselves young that you have an appearance like the church in Sardis, that you're alive, but you're dead inside. And it's not going to work. 
it's not going to happen. It's not going to get you what you're looking for. And I want to call you to repentance too on behalf of God. If you're here today and you'd say, Ed, I need to follow God with my life. I want to be born again. I want to have my sins forgiven. Would you just stand to your feet right now? I want to pray for you. That today would be the day you finally, you get serious and follow God with your life. We don't want to leave without giving you that opportunity and that chance. God bless you in the back. Who else would say, that's me, that today's a day, now's the time. This is the moment. This is, this is eternity, like eternity, God bless you. It's much bigger than, than life today, than work, than school, apartment, clothes, dinner, Eternity is much larger. God bless you in the back. Maybe you're the young person and you're already saved, but you're that young person. It's going to be the step like, don't be prideful. Respond. Admit. Surrender. Now, because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, I want to give you a chance to confess that belief in your heart. And you can do that by praying. You could say something like this. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to forgive me of all of my sins. And I submit my life to following you today, God. Help me to turn away from my sinful past and to commit my life completely to you. And Father, I pray as you draw people to yourself through tragedy or triumph, either way, you know there's a lot going on in the room right now, a lot processing, God. And I'm so grateful you love everyone. You know them personally. You know them by name. You know how many hairs on, are on their head. You know. And we leave here, God, prepared and equipped to share a word and to pray a prayer. And we especially are grateful for the, those that you've drawn to yourself through this time of Bible study. May the seed of the gospel go down deep into their lives and take root and spring up into life that they would live for you all the days of their life in Jesus name Amen We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora For prayer or a copy of this study call us at 877-30-GRACE That's 877-304-7223 Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.